Blog Talk Radio. Rebecca Maida here, Zelina, the Wicked Witch of the West, and you are listening to Once Upon a Fan podcast. Enjoy, because it's wicked. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. I am your host, Gideon's Glowing Sword. I am joined by my co-host. I'll let her Isaac's Hamilton tickets. Isaac's Hamilton tickets. And welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast again. Um, we're here to give our our opinions on Mother's Little Helper and dive into the next chapter of the show. And also give you guys some lovely news bulletins. If you're just joining us, we'll give our usual disclaimer that if you're trying to get into the chat room. It might take you a couple of page refreshes before it'll let you in. This website has been known to do that. So just keep on refreshing it if it's not letting you in at the beginning, and it should give you no trouble after a minute. So we're going to go ahead and start this podcast here with some news bulletins. I don't know why I'm talking like this, to be honest with you. Anybody who's listening to the show for the first time is like, is this guy for real? Um, So we still don't really have any word on a renewal, but we did get some insights into what to expect for the end of the season in a new interview with Adam Horwitz, Eddie Kitsis, Josh Dallas, Jennifer Goodwin, Jennifer Morrison, and Lana Priya. It's a lot. And they gave that an... that interview with Entertainment Weekly, it's the one that uh, the title of the story is Ultimate Villain Arrives as Final Battle Begins. Um, the part that specifically discusses the future of the show is quite lengthy, so I'll just try to you know, get through this as fast as I can here. So it says the Black Perry's, the Black Perry, yes, the Black Fairy's impending arrival caused Henry's authoring power to go into overdrive during Sunday's episode, which we will get to. But as they said on the show, it means that we've reached the very end of the book, according to Eddie Kitsis. Quote, at a certain point, people say, when are they going to get their happy endings? By the end of this year, some people's stories are going to be completed. Whether they're good or bad, we'll have to wait and see. Interjects executive producer Adam Horowitz, completed is a loaded term. And then they go on to say, from Eddie, quote, yeah, you completed high school and that was the end of your high school, but then there was the next chapter. For us, we feel like after six seasons, there's a chapter of people's lives that we're ready to wrap up, but there's a big future, like with anybody, and a transition. We're excited if we get an opportunity and a season seven to show everyone that. Mm. So that kind of lets us know. I mean, it kind of keeps in line with what has already been discussed in public from um, you know, ABC executive Channing Dungy, what Adam and Eddie have said in the past, and, you know, in other interviews as well, what some of the actors have commented on. Um, so, I mean, it just sounds like, you know, something's coming to an end. However that's going to happen, who knows. Um, but I think it's, you know, what's really interesting about this last quote that we got from Eddie is that, you know, he specifically said that they, you know, they were excited if they get an opportunity in a season seven. They still don't know. 
we still don't know. It's very frustrating. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, factors in play for any decision when it comes to renewing or canceling a show, and I am not at that pay grade. I don't work for the studio, so I definitely don't have any understanding of what goes into making a decision like that, so I can't speak on it. I would imagine that they would like to make a decision about it just as soon as we would like to know about it, you know what I mean? Um, Because from a business standpoint, it'd probably be a good idea to know whether or not you're moving forward with a production that, you know, a lot, several million dollars worth of your entertainment production budget every year out of your production schedule. So, um, yeah, I really hope that we get an answer soon. Um, Ashley and I were discussing before, or excuse me, Isaac's Hamilton tickets and I were discussing before the podcast started <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that um, you know, upfronts for the following season are coming up in May. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's basically when all the networks get together with all the advertisers and it gives them a presentation on what programming they've got coming, you know, what's new, what's returning, things of that nature, so that the advertisers buy the advertising time, which in this case means commercials, and that's what pays for the show to be on the air. Um, so, yeah, that's coming up soon in about a month. So we would hopefully know at least by the upfronts, so or they would make an announcement at the upfronts whether or not it's coming back. Um, keep in mind as well, this is something that else that Ash and I were getting into before the podcast started, that um, you may be hearing about the Writers Guild um, possibly striking if you follow any entertainment news channels. I'm sure you've seen that story at least once. You may be wondering if you're not familiar what exactly that means. Uh, what that basically means is that the people who write the shows would strike because they need to be making more money. Um, for various reasons that you can find online. And if they go on strike, then that means there's nobody to write the shows, which means that there's no TV, which means the most likely thing that will happen, just in case you're curious about the end result of that, is we're probably going to see an influx of reality shows because those don't require writers the same way. So That's what happened last uh, this time. Happened. I remember... When was the last time the writers went on strike? That was in 2000 and... It was like 2002, I think. No, No. it was later than that because it was... Because I was in college. I remember because we were talking because Grey's Anatomy was trying to happen. It was was weird. Yeah, it was back then because I remember that all of the seasons of shows were shortened, including like Desperate Housewives because that was still on the air. So, yeah, it was... It was some time around then, but yeah, that is what happened last time. So, some of you know, you may if you're listening to this, you may be familiar with that. You may be young enough that you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. You can always do your Googles and go ahead and figure that out. Um, but yeah, they they pretty much go on to say in this interview here, um, in Entertainment Weekly, you know, they they got comments from Lana Perea, which are interesting. She said, um. Everyone's a bit baffled by the whole concept because we don't really know what that means. And as actors, don't really know what that means. We know that the story is coming to an end, but we don't know how it's ending. And I think what's unknown is also what's so scary about it. So I think that's very interesting, too. Um, From what Jennifer Goodwin says, it sounds like, I mean, we all kind of figure that Snow and Charming, you know, if the show were to get renewed, that they would not be back on a regular basis. 
Um, Because she said the snow has been contemplating this entire season as a return to normalcy. Um, I think she's really, really ready to have a daily routine and some peace and quiet. She's prepared for a bit of boredom. I think it would do her some good. Um, Charming also said that he is super focused on the fact that let me see, what did you say? Uh, quote, he's so focused on the final battle and trying to deal with his own guilt of knowing that this was going to happen and maybe not taking steps before to prevent it for Emma's life, but then also realizing at the same time that if none of this happened, Emma wouldn't be who she is. So I think he's just super focused on that. I don't think he's actually really thought about that or let that sink in. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting. And then at the end of it, Jennifer Morrison said, Quote, everyone has a heightened sense of concern because this feels like a very dire situation and it's starting to feel more and more like Emma's going to have to do this by herself because Snow and Charming are still in the sleeping curse and they're realizing they're at the end of the book. They're like, what does that mean, the end of the book? Does the end of the book mean a happy ending? Does the end of the book mean she dies? Nobody knows what that means. We're going to get into that as part of our episode discussion here in just a moment. Before we do that, though... Ash is going to give us a quick con update through the month of May. And then we'll have some other news bits as well real quick before we get into the discussion. Ashley, take it away. Thank you, Zach. Um, First off, if you want to check out our convention list, uh, keep in mind it's not definitive. Uh, You can find it at www.onceuponafans.com slash conventions. Um, looks like this weekend we'll be seeing Sean McGuire and Millie Bobby Brown um, from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland at the Indiana Comic Con in Indianapolis, uh, which will be going on the 14th through the 16th. Then next weekend uh, we will be seeing C2E2 in Chicago, which also has Millie Bobby Brown. Um, I mentioned her as young Alice, but you also might know her as Eleven from Stranger Things. She will be attending that event on Sunday only now due to filming for Stranger Things, which is exciting. A little disappointing if you wanted to see her on Saturday because that's always such a busy day. But, I mean, she still is going to be attending the event regardless, so that's always good. Also on that weekend in Barcelona, um, they will be having the Storytelling Con where Lana Perea, Sean McGuire, Rebecca Mater, Colin O'Donoghue, Megan Ori. Beverly Elliott and Faustina DeBaio will be attending uh, that same weekend, again, the 21st to the 23rd. In And I'm never sure if I'm saying this right. So German, any German oneers, feel free to tweet me. Um, in Bonn, B-O-N-N, uh, there will be uh, MagicCon, and we'll see Emily DeRavin and Keegan Connor Tracy um, in Germany. Uh, the weekend after that is the Calgary Expo in uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, where again Millie Bobby Brown will Millie Bobby Brown will be attending as well as Raphael Sabarge. Um, the Canadian cons are always so fun. If you if you have a chance to you know take a trip, take a long weekend and go see some sites and see the cons, it's great. I love Canada. Um, <laughs> Also that same weekend, though, our UK Wonsters are in for a treat as Storybook UK 3 will be taking place in Blackpool. At this convention, we will see Emily DeRavin, Lana Perea, Rebecca Mater, Jared Gilmore, Robert Carlyle, and I stress this because Robert Carlyle doesn't do cons, so that is a real treat to go see him. 
uh, Sean McGuire, Karen David, and Odette Fair, who plays uh, Jafar this season. Um, they are all confirmed for this event. Moving on into May, we have the next installment of the Creation uh, Entertainment Presents Once Upon a Time. This will be taking place in Toronto, May 6th through the 7th. Lee Ehrenberg will be the event's MC, and it'll be a full house with Colin Donahue, Lana Perea, Rebecca Mater, Emily DeRobin, Beverly Elliott, Gil McKinney, who plays Prince Eric, Keegan Connor Tracy, Michael Coleman, who plays Happy, Raphael Sabarge, and uh, Chris Gauthier, who plays Tami, they'll all be there. Unfortunately, Jennifer Morrison had to cancel her appearance at this event. She also had to cancel her appearance at the Telford Fan Zone um, May 20th through the 21st. But Colin O'Donoghue, David Andrews, and Rose McIver are all still on, uh, still slated to be attending uh, this UK event. Also in May, we see Phoenix Comic Con, um, where uh, Sean McGuire, David Anders, and Karen David will be attending. Sean's been doing a bit of PR for that con, so that should be really fun for um, oncers to check it out. Then, that same weekend, May 27th through the 28th, is Fairy Tales 5 in Paris, which is always a treat for our French oncers. Paul O'Donoghue, Jamie Chung, Blaise Mulan, yay! Elliot Knight, Rose McIver, Sam Whitworth, who plays Hyde, Bailey Madison, who plays Young Snow, um, have all been announced for this convention. Again, unfortunately, Jennifer Morrison had to cancel. And that is all I have down for cons in the near future. Lots of international stuff. That must be very exciting for oncers around the world. Again, this list isn't definitive, so if you know of a convention that is going to be featuring any Once Upon a Time related guests, feel free to drop us a line or send us a tweet, and we can add it to our list to make sure everyone stays informed. Again, our URL for our convention page is onceuponafans.com slash convention. And back to you, Zach. Yeah, make sure that you visit the website while you still can. So we've got some um, <clears throat> some episodes that are upcoming still. I just wanted to review all of the titles of what's upcoming and who they were written by and things of that nature just so we can kind of, you know, I'm sure everybody has this memorized by now, but just in case. Next week <laughs> we've got an episode called Awake, which was written by Andrew Chambliss and Leah Fong, directed by Sharat Raju. After that is Where Bluebirds Fly. Written by David H. Goodman and Brigitte Hale, directed by Michael Schultz. That one is going to be um, an episode that's centered around Zelina. We're going to be flashing back to Oz and seeing the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion for sure. Bex told me at the Comedy Not Conflict event that Sean McGuire threw at the Viper Room. Check our YouTube channel for that interview and more. After Where Bluebirds Fly, which incidentally, P.S., by the way, will be our 100th podcast. Ooh, how fitting. Mm-hmm. Um, that one will be followed by The Black Fairy. Um, oh, I guess I should say when these are airing. So Awake airs this Sunday the 16th, and then Where Bluebirds Fly airs on the 23rd, which is the day before Bex's birthday and the day after Ashley's. And then The Black Fairy is airing on April 30th. That one was written by Jerome Schwartz and Dana Horgan, directed by Alric Riley. And then in the month of May, 
on May 7th is The Song in Your Heart, which was written by David H. Goodman, Andrew Chambliss, directed by Ron Underwood. That is the musical episode. Very excited about that. Mm -hmm. Selena's got a solo. Emma's got a solo. Regina's got a solo. She's going to be sliding across the floor on her knees, apparently. It's going to be interesting. Um, (laughs) And then on May 14th, The two-part episode titled The Final Battle, Parts 1 and 2, um, is going to air. They were both written by Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. Part 1 is directed by Steve Perlman. Part 2 is directed by Ralph Hemmerker. It makes me sad to say that. I don't really know what else to say. I'm honestly like, I thought I could wing it and maybe not struggle for words, but I'm struggling for words. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> I, guess I just don't know what to say. It's annoying to not know whether or not the show is continuing or getting canceled. It's annoying when we only have five episodes left. Um, because it's just a little bit of editorial commentary. It seems very clear now that the weekly audience watching it live or within three days or seven days on their DVR at this point are some very and even on like a streaming service afterwards as well are very very dedicated fans the core hardcore fans if you will and as a fan and somebody who has invested so much time on the show I would like to be emotionally prepared for its departure and I would like to have that time and I don't have that time and I'm just like okay whatever because um, by the time upfronts happen next month it literally starts the day after the season possibly series finale of the show so that might just be it I don't know We'll see. We will cross that bridge when it comes. So I would like a little preparation as well. Indeed. So much indeed. Happening. All right. So let's get on into our episode discussion of Mother's Little Humper, which was um, kind of split in two here. The story was by Adam and Eddie, and the teleplay was by writer's assistant Paul Carp. In his first script. So congratulations. Um, this one was directed by Billy Gearhart. Interesting. Um, Ashley, what did you think of the episode? Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I um, was more invested in this story than I think I was in uh, the past couple of episodes. I... Um, you mentioned the director. I actually did like some of the shots. I thought this was a very well-directed episode. It was very visually interesting throughout. Um, so it gave us lots of good, like very screen-capable moments. Um, I love seeing more of the Black Fairy. I'm not sure 
what to expect from her, and we'll get into that as we delve into each of our talking points. Um, I, but now it really feels like things are kicking off, and I also feel like there's some some points in the episode that I was maybe more invested in. We only got kind of a slight hinting at, but I feel very much like that was a setup for things to come. So I'm hooked enough to be like, okay, I'll be patient. I'll see how this unfolds and unfurls in upcoming uh, episodes. Um, What did you think, Zach? Um... There were a lot of factors to it that called back to other things on the show, which we'll discuss in detail as we go over our talking points. Um, There were a lot of things, well, there was one kind of thing specifically that called back to a Disney film that we were just discussing last week, so I will discuss that too. Um, I was more invested in the C story, the C story being... Regina and Henry and what was happening there. We'll discuss that as well. Um, And actually, I think we'll discuss that now because that leads back to our main talking point, or not talking point, but our first news bulletin when we were discussing the interview done with Entertainment Weekly where we're talking about the end of the first book. So just to recap about what happened with that storyline. Let me get some minutes. So, first, Henry joined Regina down in the vault as she was trying to break the sleeping curse. P.S., by the way, I noticed how she mentioned that she had undone, you know, the barrier at the town line, and she had gotten Dr. Duel out of the cage, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, You know, she had undone a bunch of stuff that the evil queen had caused, everything except for the sleeping curse. 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 There we go. Um... Casting a sleeping curse is one thing, but breaking it, hmm. So at that point, Regina started giving Henry a list of ingredients, which it's funny because she, when she said she needed tongue of newt, she, then she goes, not the eye, tongue. And I was even thinking to myself, normally it's eye of newt. So, and I was literally thinking at, at the moment that she said not the eye. So I just thought that that was... Um, I appreciated that little bit of insight into the audience's thinking on the writer's behalf (laughs) as that was Mm -hmm. happening. I thought that was perfect timing. They scripted that well. Um, And she needed those things for her latest attempt to break the sleeping curse. But instead of Henry writing down the list of things that she needed, one of his eyes went all, like, white like Bran Stark, and he started scribbling gibberish. And then later on, he woke up and didn't know what he had done, so Regina took him to the mental ward of the hospital, hello, Nurse Ratchet, to ask Isaac what was happening in a return appearance by Patrick Fischler. Fischler. Eventually, I learned how to say his name. I'm sorry, sir, if you ever hear this, I apologize. Isaac will tell her what's happening, but only if he gets set free with a sports car, a place in New York, and a to which Regina counteroffers, by the way, that she would drive a sports car over his head until it squished like a pumpkin, which made me laugh. And he said, freedom, sports car, Big Apple, and since you're making this so difficult, Hamilton tickets. Which was fairly funny, 
Um, very, very today, very hip, very modern, very now, very happening, very chic. Um, it was a joke that would appear on the runways of, you know, Fashion Week in Paris and on the pages of Vogue. It was very today. Um, and then Regina and Henry let, went to leave, so Isaac blurts out that Henry's author powers are taking over and that his trances will get more frequent and more intense, but he won't say more until his demands are met. So, at the end of the episode, Regina and Henry meet Isaac at the town line with a minivan. No Hamilton tickets because, quote, no magic's that powerful. <laughs> no kidding. And he tells them to look at the book. So Henry flips to the end and realizes that it's the final chapter. It's the end of the story. And Isaac says that the Savior fights the final battle at the end of the book, and no one wants to be around for that. Shout out to the Easter egg as well. The license put on the van, which is WED 1901. Tabs expire in December of 2015. WED would be Walter Elias Disney. He was the author before Isaac took over. And he was born in December of 1901. So I thought that was a great Easter egg. Thanks to Amy Very... Hood. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, Amy, because honestly, I didn't catch it. I knew there was a significance. And I actually had to, I'm, I must turn in my Disney membership card because I didn't catch it right off the bat. I'm like, this is significant, and I don't know how. I must, I must cipher this out. So thank you, Amy, for and Zach for deciphering it for me. <laughs> Yes, because I only figured out the initials. I couldn't figure out the 1901, which, as I said on Twitter, was lame. I should have been able to figure that out because 1901 is the name of the club that functions as the counterpart to Club 33 at Disney California Adventure. So I was like, duh. So obvious. Um but yeah, there we go. Um, that's basically what's happening. So that pretty much ties into everything that we've heard up to this point, uh, you know, about the end of the season, the end of the storyline as it is, putting a bow on certain things in the narrative and then moving on to the next step. You know, obviously what we were talking about in the news bulletin as far as, you know, moving on to the next chapter, what Eddie had said about finishing high school and then you move on to the next thing. You know, all of that has to do with this. Um, and in this case, you know, it's, I mean, literally a next chapter because it's the final chapter of this book. But as we know, there are other books, um, that could be explored with other stories, which would, you know, make sense for where the spinoff would go. And I think that we can kind of delve into that larger topic here now that we've got, you know, we've established the facts of what happened in the episode. We've established in the news bulletins, past and present, what's happening there. So let's just go ahead and get on into that discussion. I think that'd be good. Um, so clearly, you know, the idea for a season going forward would be to explore a different version of Once Upon a Time, another, you know, another one of the books, um, volume two, so to speak, um, putting an end to maybe, from what I can tell, at least, maybe the feeling that I'm getting, and I may be wrong here because there's nothing really to base this off of, but it seems like now would be a time to put a bow and kind of put an end and close the book on the fairy tale side of Once Upon a Time and maybe focus on another genre that still has ties to things going on in the Disney universe. Maybe am I totally off the rails here? Like I'm not I feel like they so thoroughly explored things that are in the Disney canon, in the Disney catalog, 
that while they still have plenty of options left, um, they pretty much hit, they've checked all the mainstream boxes. Um, so I'm not really sure where they could go here on that. And I feel like I'm talking a lot. Ashley, get in on this conversation. Well, first off, I have to say, this is one thing that's kind of bothering me. I know I joked about being Isaac's Hamilton tickets in our opener, but at the same time, I didn't particularly care for that addition in the script just because I felt like it was too, I know you liked it because it was topical. I felt like I disliked it because it was topical. I felt like it being that topical kind of puts a pin in where the show is in a point in time. And as the show ages, it kind of ages the show. It makes it seem less timeless. The same thing happened on Gallivant in season two, which I enjoyed season two very much, but they really laid it on thick with the Game of Thrones um, jokes. And that to me, as opposed to being general medieval jokes, it kind of puts the show in a certain place in time because when Game of Thrones ends, I mean, yeah, that was a big cultural phenomenon, but it was a cultural phenomenon during a certain point in time. So now Gallivant is going to seem a little dated and in the season two, but this is just my opinion. This is how I read the lines like that. So I, it's weird because I actually did like that line when they made a Hamilton joke in The Magician. So I don't know if it's just the timelessness of Storybrooke that makes me kind of bulk at that kind of uh, inclusion. But, yeah, it, it would have been one thing to kind of mention it once, but then they called back to that joke. I'm, I mean, it, for what it, what it was, it was, a, it was a nice callback, you know, and they are right. There's no magic in the world that's going to get you Hamilton tickets. But at the same time, I was like, no, could we not? But going along with your larger point, I mean, they have established throughout – season end of season four and throughout season five that there are other books and other stories to be told and we even see saw that with the land of untold stories i'm staring at my postcard from comic-con right now where there are there's a wealth of literature there's a wealth of stories to tap into for a kind of reboot um in a different direction to take this show because you are right i feel like the disney-esque fairy tale has been tapped a bit um, by once in these past six seasons. Um, I think that it would be interesting to maybe go into a Wizard of Oz uh, path. Um, and we are having a Wizard of Oz episode this season, so that could be a good setup, like a backdoor kind of pilot for a uh, reimagining and hopefully if that happens we can bring back Ruby and Dorothy because I want to see more of them for obvious reasons um and that would also be with Zelina that would be a link from one you know one chunk of once upon a time to another as well um I this was the part that I had mentioned in my brief over uh over recap whatever you want to call it of the episodes where I felt like I wanted to see more of this with the author powers kicking in and what is this, what does this mean that we're at the end of the book? Um, and obviously this was 
they're setting it up now, just kind of sprinkling it into the story so they can spend more time fleshing it out as opposed to trying to introduce it and flesh it out in the same episode. So while I'm like, no, I want more, give me more, I'm glad that they're taking it a bit more slow so it's not a huge info dump in later episodes. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Zach? Did you like having the sprinklings now or did you like, would you have rather had like more focus on it? Sorry, more focus on what? The 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 author power's kicking in. Oh no, like sorry, like when you asked the question one like the one word that you had said when you were asking like broke up and I was like more focus on what'd she say? She would have preferred more focus on what? Um <laughs> I was like, what? Um, I mean I'm that's kind of where I was at, um, with this episode because I feel I and the reason why is because um, looking at it from an audience point of view, which, you know, could, I mean, if you wanted it to, it could bleed over into the screenwriting realm as well, um, if you chose to see it that way, I suppose. But um, looking at it as a fan of the show, it seems to me like with the – um, with the renewal still unannounced and not knowing if the show is going to move you know, forward or not, then it makes sense, as far as I'm concerned, that you would maybe want to spend a little bit more time. For me as an audience member, I would rather see a resolution to the foundations of the mythology of the show and kind of wrapping up those loose ends and making it maybe a little bit more clear what the limitations are, what what the responsibilities are, what the future can be going forward in the event of something happening like a book ending. Um, I would rather see an exploration of that story and kind of bring that to a conclusion because it, like I said, feeds into the larger mythology of the show, which is the foundation of it, something that we always ask from season one, really, was who wrote the book. Um, and even then, once we found out that there was an author, I saw people tweeting to Adam asking if there was an illustrator as well, which I thought was interesting. Um, Ooh. I think that, that which I had, I think that that had been in relation to page twenty three specifically, but I digress. Um, so. Yeah, like, I feel like since that's such a huge topic of the show and something that obviously has a big part to play in the overall story and it didn't have a part to play in the story, um, you know, I would rather see that as an audience member. And like I said, you can kind of maybe have that bleed over into the screenwriting part of it if you want to because if I was writing it, and this is just me. Um, you know that I would want to. I would want to explore that for the character. So, and that's that's just me. Not everybody has that same point of view. People write their shows however they want. I'm not telling anybody how to write or anything. I'm just saying what would what would work for me. What my personal preference would be. Um, as a fan. So there it is. That's what I think. Um, 
And I was a little I and now having said that, I I want to make sure that I don't sound like some kind of you know ungrateful fan or ungrateful brat or something who's like <laughs> whining about whatever because I'm fully aware of the fact that it's very likely that this was set up for something that's going to be happening not only in the following episode, but I have a feeling that this is going to um, have a part to play for the rest of the season. So, um, you know, that's that's just my personal feeling on that. I feel like they're really going to carry the whole Henry author happy endings, full closure book thing, <laughs> all of those aspects, I think that they're going to bring those to a close. So I do feel like this is just the beginning of the end. Um, and we'll, maybe we'll get an exploration of all that mythology. Maybe I'm jumping the gun and sounding like a jerk while I'm doing it because I'm being critical of the writers. Who knows? Sorry, guys. I don't mean to sound that way. Um, like they ever listen, but if you do. Um, so, yeah. That's kind of – that's my – God, I talk so much. <laughs> when you bring up um, Henry as a writer and the, the author – Miss, I guess, of him. I'm glad that that's something that was introduced that hasn't been forgotten and has been brought back continuously um, and has gotten more exploration. Excuse me. Um, Oh, I lost my thread. Oh, no. Oh, God. I have a really good point in that thread. You want to come back to it? I will come back to it because now I, 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 damn it, I had a really good point about Henry being the father, and now I'm like I've completely blanked. No worries. Okay, we'll, we'll come be, back to it. We'll come back. We'll come back to it. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, um, it was about Henry's author powers. Just go back to that place in the conversation. I am. Um. And I feel like, and maybe, you know, now that, you know, to the point that we're discussing as well, um, because it just occurred to me that we were discussing earlier before the podcast that we would have liked to have seen more, you know, more of the author stuff. And, you know, now I'm realizing that, hello, that's probably just set up for what's to come and... We'll probably get all that, so it'll be fun. Oh, I remember. I remember now. Uh, <laughs> well, it's just interesting, you know, with Henry taking on the, the mantle of the author and we're coming to the end of the book, the show started with Henry seeking out someone to bring back all the happy endings, and that person was Emma. And while Emma does have a role in it, it's interesting to see now that Henry has a large role in that as well. His, his, his line from season one that always strikes me, and I, I hear – his, his small child voice in my head is like, you're supposed to bring back the happy endings. Well, no, Henry, you are too. And I just, I think that that is just an interesting kind of arc that Henry's had where he started out, you know, seeking out someone to help find an ending for this book, these stories. And now he is the one who is, I guess basically in charge of that. 
And so I thought that that really struck me when watching this episode, and I thought that that was uh, I thought that was nice. What do you think, Zach? I'm talking with the mute button on. Um, I thought <laughs> that that I mean I think that that's a good point. It is very very full circle. Um which I definitely appreciate as well. Um, it ties back to season one and the first episode of the pilot in a lot of different ways. Um, when you said that you could hear Henry's little voice saying you're supposed to bring back the happy ending, um, I can hear that too. I can actually hear little Jared saying, um, you should know better than anyone because you're in this book. Um, it's crazy to think that he's like almost a grown man and this is where we're at. Okay. Time just keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. So the next talking point, uh, we have a couple of directions we can go from here. We can go into the flashback, um, which is directly related to what was going on with Emma and Gideon, or we can briefly explore what was going on with Hook, and then get into the other stuff. Your call. Uh, let's do Hook really quick. Because I feel like there wasn't a lot going on with him in this episode, but I did like it was very piratey. Like, I liked seeing Blackbeard again. I liked that it was, like I said, piratey. It was just, you know, Hook wasn't, he, he tried to bargain with Blackbeard as a pirate would. And while I, I felt like his bits in this episode didn't add that much, it was kind of like, well, what's Hook up to? Um, I thought it was very sly how he kind of tricked Blackbeard, and he was like, well, Blackbeard, mate, you're cheating as well, and you know what, like, you know, I I, I enjoyed that. Um, I think it's very interesting that we've gone back to Neverland. Uh, And I did have that little explanation there, because I saw some folks on my Twitter timeline who were like, well, wait, didn't all the Lost Boys go back with... Uh, the, what did we call them in season three? The Neverenders? Neververengers? When they finally all, oh God, that was so great in season three. You guys remember that? When season two ended and that damn pirate ship at San Diego Comic-Con. And I just, I distinctly remember waiting in line to get those damn pins and just the trailer going. And it was that bass drop when the, when the ship went into the portal. Like, sorry, I'm reminiscing here, but it was just, that just always makes me so happy. Because that was the point when I realized how ass deep I was in this fandom. Um, but anyway, I digress. But uh, there was a, there was a, I guess a, some fans who had brought up. Well, did all the Lost Boys, Lost Boys come back on the Jolly Roger when they came back from Neverland? They had that line in there. Well, these are the you know, the Felixes of the group, the ones who were still loyal and didn't really jive with the whole going to Storybrooke type of thing, and, and they stayed. So I appreciated having that line of explanation in. Um, but I just think it's interesting that, you know, Captain Hook is back in Neverland, and what's going to happen with that? Though, so, honestly, I 
don't care much for having him separated out because that creates a whole other plot that I'm not as invested in. I, I'm more invested in what's going on with Storybrooke and, and the impending final battle and all that. So it's like, okay, let's just get Hook home. All right, let's go. Go home, Hook. So I'm wondering if Neverland is also another um, venue that they're going to try to flesh out if this new direction for season seven happens as well. Um, Cause I know when back in the day, when once upon a time Wonderland was a thing, a lot of folks were like, well, why didn't they just do Neverland? Because that ties more directly in with what the story was going on. Um, you know, and it would have, it, it would have fit better in with once upon a time. Um, I did enjoy once upon a time in Wonderland. I'm glad we explored that. And it was, it, it's a great companion show. I, I highly, suggest everyone checking it out um but on the whole hook bits in this episode while i did enjoy them i was like okay they're getting chased by lost boys again let's let's go back to the the spider and 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 whatever the crap is happening with the blackberry uh what did you think zach um it was very piratey. Um, the irony is never lost on me that when they put Hook and Blackbeard together, Hook is basically running around with <laughs> the, cartoon, the cartoon version of himself as far as the costume is concerned. Um, that always just tickles me. Um, <laughs> the, it's funny because you were talking about Comic-Con and I was thinking about that too because that was the first year that I ever went and that was the first year that I did press and that was the first year that I met anybody and I was just like losing my mind and couldn't believe how cool we didn't even know each other we didn't like we hadn't even met at that point which is funny that we were both like there and just never our paths didn't even cross. Like I, I mean, you're, no offense, bro, but you're like six foot a million. You're not hard to miss. But we never even saw each other with as, as much time as we probably both spent at that pirate ship, which I think is crazy now that I really think about it. It really is because was, I literally like when I wasn't like for for all of the days that I was there, I kept getting in line for the pins because I wanted all of them, like all of them. Um. Which is why it was all the more tragic several months later when I was moving and somehow those pins were lost. Um, oh. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I've ever told you that. Yeah, they were lost no. along with along with my replica of Granny's room key and Emma's sheriff badge. Um, no. Yes, those things were lost immediately after Enchantagon. So. Um, sad trombone. Um, I will. I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. So, um, yeah, I thought that it was interesting that um, I have notes about this. I have notes about this part um, of the episode. So let me just go into this. So when he arrived at the bar to gamble with Blackbeard and find his way home to Storybrooke, I was like, okay. And then Blackbeard didn't want Agrabah jewels. And Hook offered the Jolly Roger in exchange for a magic bean. And then here's the note that I wrote. I said, Hook just told Blackbeard that he's gambling the ship because he's separated from the woman he loves and she's in danger. To which Blackbeard replied, same woman as last time. 
say. Um, what's a nice way to say this? <laughs> um, yes, it was the same woman as last time because we've literally already seen this happen before. So I was kind of like, okay. Um, yeah, I didn't, yeah. Um, that, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, let's see. Blackbeard recommended that next time Hook should get rid of the woman. I took great delight in saying, yes, I agree. She should get rid of him. Yes. Um, Blackbeard beat Hook at the game and then won the Jolly Rogers, so they went out to the docks and then surprised the Jolly Rogers in Storybrook. Blackbeard has to get there if he wants to ship. Hook has to go with him. Quick note, Blackbeard has six aces in his deck. And then Hook made the portal and they jumped. And then they arrived in Neverland and the Lost Boys were chasing him. And Hook called Blackbeard old man, which was funny because Hook's like 300 years old. And then Blackbeard <laughs> knocked him out and stole the dinghy and rode away. And they're yelling at each other and the Lost Boys showed up. And Hook ran really, really quickly down that beach. I did take note of that. Um... So, you know, I mean, overall, so that's just a quick recap. I just want to make sure that, we, you know, we're all on the same page. We all remember exactly what happened. I'm sure we do. It was only two days ago. But just in case, that's where we are. So, um, it to me, I'm like, okay, like, this is, this is par for the course. There's angst at the end of the story. Like, we have to keep the two lovers apart because they can't be – happy and in love and be lovers if you know there's still angst and drama and we're not at the end of the book yet so we have to separate the lovers so that they can't be such lovers and then by the end of the show they'll be lovers again and she'll be in a wedding okay. dress <laughs> all right well <laughs> hello lover lovers hello lover so, it reminds yeah, me of a cool. Mystery Science Theater episode, uh, Dover Draw the Memory Break, where they're making fun of um, public access television, and they have Pearl singing the, when loving lovers love, it's loving lovers love. That's what that sounded like. <laughs> exactly. Loving lovers loving. So that's where we're at. And then, yeah, I was just like, okay, like, let's just hurry. Can we hurry and get this part over with? I don't understand why he's in Neverland. I feel like it's just a way of, I mean, what's a nice way to say this? It feels like there is not really any nice way to say this. Um, it just feels like a way of, of finding a, something to give Hook to do. It, I feel like it, it's very it, – that is a very um, – the backdoor pilot is what it seems to me. Like we're going to go, you know, we're doing Neverland, we're doing Oz to see, you know, these stories catch and refresh in the audience's memory. Um, so if those are directions that we go – yeah, for a potential season seven, we'll we won't have to reestablish so much. Like they did it with um, well they did. I don't like how they did it in Grey's Anatomy when they, with private practice, where it was the whole episode like Ashton goes on an adventure and these are all these new people and it's totally a private a private practice. 
because that felt very jarring. So at least this is a bit more smooth if this is the intention, which I think, I mean, what else could it be? I mean, unless it's just a way of throwing back to what's come before and being like, hey, look, now we're going to take you on a you know magical mystery tour of everything that we've already done as a way of like calling back to where we've been and and you know it's like our little love letter to the fans because look at like remember this and you know like it's i'm making sense here it's the kind of thing that you do at the end of the show to call back to what happened in the past so that it's like you know giving it full circle and closure and all that kind of stuff um, that's kind of how it felt. And you may be right as far as how it's going to be a backdoor pilot for things, and we're testing the waters to see how it goes. Um, next week is clearly going to be the – well, I assume that next week will be the episode where Tiger Lily shows up because um, we have yet to see her. So I'm sure that will be the case. Um, and then eventually he'll find his way home and everything else. Um yeah, so that'll be that. I just, yeah, I was, I just wasn't really into this because I was like, it just seems like we need to, we need a way of separating Hook and Emma until the very end because she has to have angst in order, like she has to be going through angst and separated from her true love in order to defeat the bad guys so that true love conquers all and true love is the most powerful magic and true love. Um, that's just what it seemed like to me. So. Um, not really a whole lot more to say about that. Now the stuff. That well, okay, you know, okay. The, here, however, Zach. I, I mean, while I'm not a, a big fan of it as well, though, for this because it feels very quick. You have to admit that the whole first season was Snow and Charming trying to get back to each other as well. And while I don't personally want to compare Snow and Charming to Emma and Hook, they're very different in their dynamics and their history. At the same time, a lot of the show is about true lovers getting to find each other again. And we can talk about that a lot more with Rumble and Bell because I thought that they're, I really, really like their exchange towards the end of the episode. We can go ahead and talk about that then. Because, number one, that's not compare Snow and Charming to Emma and Hook because, no. Um, number two, it's true that they spent the whole first season, um, trying to get back to each other. This is true. Um, however, that's also what kind of earned their story. And as I have said many times in the podcast, I don't feel like Emma and Hook have earned that story yet. Like, I don't feel they've earned all of this. But I'm also incredibly biased, and I know it. So, I don't know what else to say about that. I'm biased. Um, I I know you are. I will find any reason (laughs) under the sun to argue in favor of Hook and Emma not being together because gross. Um, And I know it, and I know that a lot of people probably, you know, don't like me for it because I'm not hip to the trend. 
whatever. I don't care. Um, I like what I like. I want what I want. <laughs> I do what I want. I want what I do. Um, so there it is. Um, let's see what else. So the stuff that was really um, kind of taking up the bulk of the episode was um, the whole Gideon, Emma, you know, present day battle against Shilo, Charlotte, the Spider, slash flashback to the Dark Realm where the Black Fairy and her dark little elves or children or, you know, whatever. I just like having a Thor reference because, oh, my God, that trailer. So Thor of the Dark World. Um, so there we go. There it is. Uh, that was taking up the bulk of the episode stuff, and I thought that, that was interesting. We ran a poll on our Twitter page, and the question was, were you surprised by the reveal about Gideon's unwilling participation in the Black Fairies plot? We had some votes come in. 61% of you voted, nah, I saw it coming, and and 39% of you said, yeah, that was a shocker. Of course, the unwilling participation that I am speaking of is the stuff that happened at the very end, well, towards the end, at least, of the flashback, um, where we saw that Gideon is not actually in, in control of his own actions, Um Hence his general dickish behavior. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so that's where we're at with that. Um, so yeah, I thought that that was interesting that people thought that they, you know, saw it coming, or at least voted that they had seen it coming. I did not see it coming. Um, I thought that it maybe would have made not necessarily more sense, but I just didn't think that that would be. Something I thought that it would be kind of maybe more important to Gideon's character and his arc if he was doing it all of his own free will. Um, because then that, I mean, that would that would make sense to me. Like it, it totally make like if the Black Fairy was clearly horrible to him in the Dark Realm, then that's one thing, um, and I can see that, but. Really, I don't see any reason why she would be treating him like crap when he was first in there. So it doesn't necessarily make sense to me that he would have a reason not to like her, and therefore, like, why would he ever even know that he is not? That was my big thing, actually, is because the whole crux of what was going on between Gideon and the Blackberry and his resistance to her was that he knew that he had other parents out there. And I was just like, well, how does he know that? Why does he know that? Why would, like, if she's claiming to be his mom, like, why would he ever think, like, you would think that what would have happened was that he found out that he had other parents out there, and then she found out that he found out, and then that's when she took his heart to control him into doing whatever because he realized, like, I don't know. Am I overthinking this? Um, I don't know if overthinking is the right word, but to me, it struck me very much that the Black Fairy was someone who is just incapable of love. She is... She wants to control her child and have them be obedient as opposed to have a child love her and and be obedient because they love and respect her. She wants uh, fear as opposed to love. 
because there's something really off with her. She's just not really playing with the full deck, I don't think. Um, well, Gideon, I think, found out about his true parentage from stealing the book, but then again, how did he know that he, there was a book to steal? Um, I'm wondering if the person that the Black Fairy handed uh, baby Gideon off to kind of clued him in, because I really don't see the Black Fairy even having time for, like, a baby. So that uh, could be a thing. I really like the cold open before the title card, though, kind of establishing just who the Black Fairy was, where she was just very, like, eh, and then and then not very cold as soon as someone even approached the line to cross her. Um I do feel that showing the the um, event that Gideon had described to Rumple in the clock tower with, you know, leaving the uh, cell door open and having him choose to be a coward or a hero, I felt that showing that kind of lessened the impact of the story because the way he told it was very chilling and left an impression on who the Black Fairy was. But then, you know, when we saw it, it was like, okay, we know how this is going to end. We've already seen it. Why are we showing it again? It was brought up only a few episodes ago, so it should be fresh in our minds. I would have preferred for us to jump more to the 28-year-old Gideon and having him, you know, remember the friend, having the friend remind him of the event and being like, oh, okay, that, yeah, that, that happened. And, and it would just may have made it more chilling I think it's interesting that even though um, Gideon isn't doing these things of his own free will, which I admit would have been more interesting if he had, then he still addresses the Black Fairy as mother. Um, there's just this like this control thing happening where he's been abused into obedience almost, where it's, I don't know, it, it's, I, I'm not sure how to express it, but it really kind of hits a chord with me of how much of a whammy she did put on him because she didn't have control over when when she sent him out to go do her bidding in her mind. He, you know, just did it. Um. I don't know, like, I keep, I keep, what I want to, the things that I was, you know, were having, um, like, an issue with, and the, and the things that I was kind of, like, getting confused about, which was, you know, this was one of them, is that because, it's funny you mentioned the teaser that came before the title card, because I was like, like, it literally ends with her throwing the book away, and then somehow it mysteriously popped up again like a few years later in his she kept it away but she didn't like throw it away throw it. she didn't banish it did she well I know but I was like well why the hell would she keep it like why wouldn't she like wouldn't you get rid of it like I wouldn't want it if I had just kidnapped a kid like if, if it's part of the mental whatever her mental game to make sure that these children know that she took them so that there's a certain like ruling by fear you know, I took your you from your parents, so I can do anything. Yeah, like kind of whatever. Then okay, yeah. I get that. That just wasn't explicit. Maybe, maybe I just wasn't picking up on the subtext. Um, clearly, I'm picking up on it now, but I'm also having to imagine a different scenario, because for me, 
like it just would have made like it would have made more sense like if she had cast the book away whatever like maybe like if they had changed the way that she because if they had changed the way that she threw it away in the teaser it would have made a difference because i didn't pick up on the fact that it's like i thought that literally that they had was like something missing like there was a shot missing of the book landing like in a fire or something because it just seemed like it should have cut to where the book went when it didn't i was like okay well she just got rid of the book like that you know problem solved wasn't sure how they were going to fix it, you know, put it all together still. But I was like, all right, cool, the book is gone. And then later on, like, he is resist, like, you know, they show him when he's a kid, which really just, it seemed like that scene served to function a further scene wherein Roderick or Robert, whatever his name was, I thought it was Roderick. Um, it's Roderick. Roderick, thank you. Um, it it seemed like it was just there to further that scene where he comes to him and says, "Hey, we can communicate with this savior person through the orb," and then they they went looking for it. It just seemed like when we saw that scene play out, that it was purposely there so that we could <clears throat> build on it later on when we see his friend again when they're grown and all that other stuff, which is fine. Because, like you said, but you know, it it did kind of take something of the mystery away from when Gideon had described it in the previous episode, because it's easier to fill it in with your imagination and make it horrible. Um, it's another mm-hmm. thing to mm-hmm. like see it because you have to be careful. I feel like you have to be careful with that kind of thing, especially on this show, because we know that you can't show too, like that they probably won't show too much. Maybe. Um, I mean, it has in the past in episodes like red handed or whatever, which we've talked about how it's kind of missing an edge these days, but um, you know, when it, it, it didn't seem like it was going to be that bad. Like it wasn't that bad. Like obviously whatever happened to him that was horrible happened off screen for us and for Gideon because she took him in another room. But when I was watching it, like when I got to the end of it, I was like, okay, wouldn't it have made like for me as a fan again, it would have been more interesting for me to watch it as to where, like, he's gladly and willingly working with the Black Fairy in order to make stuff happen or whatever. And then at a certain point, like, on his birthday or something, maybe she tasks him with going to retrieve, you know, something out of somewhere. And, like, maybe her room. Like, she's, she tells him, go get my book of spells out of my chest at the foot of my bed or, you know, something like that, whatever. So he goes, and when he goes and he finds the book, like the spell book, like her her handsome hero is also there. And there's like something in it, like maybe some phrase or something that he remembered, like from being born or just something. But there's something in it that makes him remember or realize, rather, that he is not her son and that he has parents elsewhere. Like, and that it was, like, a very blatant, in-your-face, obvious, like, these are your real parents, like, even with their names and where they're from, that kind of thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. because, because then in that moment of realization, which this ties into something that you, we, you may find unrelatable so far, um, because really this whole episode with the whole Black Fairy Gideon thing, there was very much a Mother Gothel slash Rapunzel vibe from Tangled going on, 
I picked up on that in a couple of different scenes. I was like, she is very gothel, like, claiming that she's his mother when really she's his grandmother. Like, let's start with that. But she's claiming that she's his mother, that she's mother to all these other kids as well. Um, you know, like, there was just a, there was a lot of Mother Gothel and Rapunzel's relationship and the Black Fairy's relationship with Gideon. And so I feel like if they had done it the way that I just described, wherein he finds something that lets him know, like, hey, she's not really your mother. These are your parents. It would have had a direct parallel to Tangled and that realization at the end where it's like Rapunzel realizes like the truth. And um and 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 yeah, and that would have been it. And then that would have been his driving force for resisting the Black Fairy. Um because he obviously like would not be down for that kind of action. Like once he realized the truth, he would have been like, Oh my god, he's buying betrayer. And then she rips out his heart and then forces him to do it anyway. So we know that, like, you know, he's had his, like, because then it turns into, then it turns into a thematic thing, right? Because then it's a situation where he's just had his heart ripped out in a metaphorical sense because he just found out the truth of the situation. And then she literally rips his heart out, like, again. So it's, like, a really great thematic event that, plays into the, his story and character development at the same time as serving to function the backstory of what happened with him. I feel like that just would have been more interesting. Am I wrong? Bueller? No, no. I, I like, I, I, I'm digging what you're saying. I am. But I wasn't upset with the way things played out. I don't know. I mean, I kind of knew that stuff. I honestly thought we were going to get Cora and Roderick like was dead and she was going to turn into herself and be like, Oh, it was a test. So I was actually a little surprised that when she showed up later, I just squished him. Yeah. I, I actually was expecting that too. I was expecting that. Was, yeah, that was definitely my expectation. I definitely thought that she was going to turn up to be Roderick. Um, and that that was going to be it for sure. So mm-hmm. I was happy when she did not poof, um, or when he did <laughs> not poof. Right? That made me happy. Um, I was like, how delightful. Um. What do you think oh, yeah. about, about uh, Jamie Murray's portrayal as the Black Fairy? I'm digging it, though I kind of expected a little more... I expected to be more, like, frightened of her in this episode, like, to be more creeped out by her, where she's very, you know, affably evil. She, she's... I Okay, admittedly, I haven't watched season... The, the most recent season of The Walking Dead, um, but I... From what my coworkers who are obsessed with it are describing of Megan... He's very jovial, and he's like, yeah, you know, this, that, and the other. And that's kind of the vibe I, I got off of Jamie Murray's um, Black Fairy, where she's so sickly sweet, but we haven't seen her mean side yet. It's all been kind of implied, and I would have liked to see, liked to have seen more of a tinge of that um, in this episode since this is establishing her more. But I think, or rather I'm hoping that because we haven't really seen her, you know, haven't seen the happy mask 
slide away to the true monster underneath yet. When it does happen, it's really going to knock us out. Um, so I'm hoping to see that in upcoming episodes. What do you think? What's a nice way to say this? Um... I oh yeah, I think that's a metaphor that I can make work. So when it comes to my opinion of the performance of the Black Fairy, there's a little more It seems to me like there's an extra helping of Dolores Umbridge and not quite enough of Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> it? it does. Oh, my God. That makes so much sense. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but, like, it, it, no, it's because that's what it is. It's Umbridge without the I must tell lies is what we're getting right now. Exactly. And the, yeah, exactly. I must not tell lies is what made Umbridge. Exactly, because there's there's a difference between conceptualized malice and actualized malice. Umbridge was actualized malice because of I must not tell lies. The Black Fairy is all conceptual at this point. So her evil her her evil plan, her her evil skills, whatever she would be bringing to the final battle that they want to try to avoid. It's all implied. It's all conceptual. Nothing is real. Um, so, you know, so there's no actualized threat. There's nothing for us to picture. Like it would be one thing if like, and I kind of wish that it, like I do hope it goes this direction, or at least I kind of hope that it would go this direction I would rat like what I would love to see truly honestly is some kind of like two towers slash um south park slash I don't know what scene where, oh, like, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where it's like, there's the White Witch, and there's her massive army of hoagies and bogies and and horrible, awful creatures and vicious canids and, you know, all of these other things, <laughs> like... Not the vicious um, canids. Yeah, so I, I've, like, what I would love to see is, like, like, what is she, like, what's going to happen? Like, if she wins, what's going to happen? Like, give me give me some some actual threat here. Like, don't, not just have it be a thing where, like, she's monologuing and Syndrome is, you know, somewhere in the great jet engine in the sky, you know, thinking to himself, what did I say about monologuing? Like, I don't just want it to be monologuing. I want there to be, like, Damage, like I want Night on Bald Mountain unleashed in Storybrooke more than just Turnabog on the Clock Tower. Like this is a PG thirteen podcast for language for the following reasons. 
just go ahead and have some evil army fuck some shit up in Storybrooke. Like, that's, like, really. Like, just have them fuck some shit up. Like, serious. So that there's, like, some real level of consequence here. Because I'm not, get, like, there's no sense of urgency to the consequences at this point. And if this is the last season of the show, there needs to be some kind of, like, really high stakes. It's the final battle, for Christ's sake. Like, there needs to be something heavy-handed going on. Well, she only just got into town. She only just got into town, so I think there's still time for that. But I would prefer her to be just out in the open rather than slinking around, because we've had plenty of slinkage. Slinky? Well, I would have loved to have seen a scene where, like, like, follow me, right? I'm going to take you on a trip. So at the beginning Mm -hmm. with the Tyler Carter, she hands the baby over to the woman who honestly kind of looked and sounded like she should have been in Salem. Um, talking about raise him as though he were mine, you know, with a very haughtiness, whatever. I would have loved if at that point she walked, like, around the corner and, like, into the big cave, and that's where she had her big moment where, like, um, you know, Saruman is, like, looking out over, you know, all of the evilness that he's making and being like, we're gonna fuck shit up, and they're all like, yeah, evil rules, we have cookies, join the dark side, like, that kind of thing. I don't know if that might have been too on the nose, personally, but I, 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 I like where you're going. It might be too on the nose, but I think that this show is not for subtlety. Like this show, you can you can take the risk of being too on the nose and being very visual and just go full hardcore fantasy, and it's acceptable because it fits in with the with the world. Like it fits, so it's fine. Um, I just feel like the Black Fairy wouldn't be one to have an army. I feel like she she has minions who work under her, but I feel like she's the kind of evil that wants to like get up to her elbows in her evil. She doesn't want to do the hard work, but when it comes time to like do like the payoff, she will she'll show up and be like, Oh, thank you for the dust. Peace out. I'm gonna go fuck some shit up. Because um, I just for me the way I'm reading her, her having an army of minions doesn't read quite the same because she's been such a boogeyman for the past few seasons and it all just seems very her not her black arm or black army uh black fairy and her minions like the threat has never been who she might bring the threat has been her in a room like if she shows up then you're in trouble which is all well and good but like again like why like Everybody comes to town, like, because here's, here's what I'm getting so far, right? And, again, we, she just got to town. We haven't spent a lot of time with her yet, so I'm sure that my criticisms are jumping the gun. Like, I'm sure of it. Like, I'm sure that somewhere on some level, if any of the writers are hearing this right now, they're probably like, you fucking jackass. We haven't got to that point yet. You're criticizing stuff that hasn't happened yet. You're a total moron. Shut up. Okay, but maybe that's earned. But in the meantime, let me just say this. Like, 
we've had plenty of people come to town saying that they're the next biggest, baddest thing, and they always end up getting shot down. And so what I'm getting right now out of this, and again, this may change, but I'm getting a very real underminer from the incredible feeling off of her right now, where it's a thing of like, look at me and all of my evil badness. I'm going to fuck shit up. And everyone's just standing there like, girl, Literally, the woman in re- like with the red hair and the hat, she literally said that last week. So, like, you're going to have to do better than that at this point if you want us to be trembling in fear. Like, we have shit to do. We have grilled cheese at Grammys on the pot right now. It's going to be ready in five minutes. Like, you know what I mean? So, again, it may be jumping the gun. I'm sure that I am. I'm sure the writers hate me. Sorry, guys. But, you know. At least I'm proving that I know how to tell a story, right? Can we mm. can we do that? Yeah. So yeah. Um, let's see what else. What else? What else? Um, oh, the whole thing. So Emma and and Gideon and their whole. Um, and again, the reason why I'm like, hey, Saruman Two Towers thing is because. I understand that that spider can have been a great many number of spiders, but let's be real, that spider was totally like Shilob from The Lord of the Rings. I, I just can't. Like, I know Emma called it Charlotte, and I totally get why. And I was like, that movie is already traumatizing because of the fact that it's so sad at the end. Um, so I was like, I already am over watching that movie and reading that book. So now that we've got this going on, I definitely am not into that action. But it was totally Shiloh, right to the point where she even got all spun up and she was, like, dying. And then, like, in came, like, Rumpelwise Gamgee, the gold, to, like, save her with, like, with his magic elven purple magic. Like, I was like, this is just totally, like, which is totally fine. I'm saying, like, I'm laughing at it because it tickled me as a fan of those movies and that series and that world and those books, it made me laugh because I was like, this is totally like making me want to watch those movies right now. Like, thank you for making me think of that. I appreciate you. Um, I am not a fan of spiders. I am not a fan of spiders whatsoever. So that's why I was like, yeah, no. Mm -mm." Well, and there's the thing, like, I really, I have to say that I really I really, really like how the spider came through the book, just the one leg, and it was like, boom! And then how it like just burst forth from the book. Like, that was... That looked awesome. Like, whatever you say about the CGI of the show, even... The, I'm glad the spider looked less realistic, just because... Blech. But, um... At the same time, the CGI was really good with the spider, but that entrance, like, I was not expecting, like the spider to come can-canning into our world, like, poof. Like, oh, man. I, I, that, was, I think, is one of my favorite... That's the noise it makes. That was one of my favorite, I think, moments from the episode was where they're like, okay, things are going on, and Gideon's like, oh, crap. She's totally wise to what we're doing. And all of a sudden, just like, ha-ha! Like, spider leg. I was just like, oh, that literally was an oh, shit moment. Like, whoa, no. Um, so I, I, I like that, but yeah, I didn't like, I don't like fighters. I don't, 
do with the movement in the legs. Like, I really, really don't. So having that thing webbing about in the sorcerer's house, I was, I was like, so not okay with I was like, mmm. All right, can we just have him off screen a bit more, please? Because no thanks. Very true. Um, qu- one quick thing that I just realized I didn't say when I was making my point about Mother Gothel and the whole realization of, like, the whole parallel to Tangled thing, it also would have played into the fact that the Vikings last week seemed very much like the ruffians from the from the, and as was pointed out to me afterwards, the ruffians and Tangled, they hang out at a bar which is called the Snuggly Duckling. I really feel there was a missed opportunity here. So, anyways, going back to your point about the spider, I loved it when the spider also came can-canning into the world out of the book. I was confused about where the door went and why it was there. Um, I was like, apparently we're just leaving portal doors open in places. That's fine. Um, cool. Well, wasn't it like a thing... Didn't they say, like, you can come back and visit to Anna and Elsa when they went through, or did I make that up in my head? Well, they did, but the door, their door was blue. Like, it had a very specific color scheme that went with Aaron, with Arendelle, so that's what I was like, okay, hmm. whatever. And then, like, that battle lines being drawn between the golds and kind of like the charmings, even though charming wasn't there, which I'm really ready for them to break the sleeping curse now. Like it's kind of like not to put too fine a point on it, but it's tired. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm ready for it to be over. I'm ready for charming to be awake at the same time. I'm ready for them to be at this as a family. I'm tired of the separation. I'm, I'm just ready. Um, I, I yeah. like the uh, the battle lines drawn it as well because it wasn't super overt. That was another great moment, I think, where there were threats laid, but it wasn't like, oh, you come after me, boy, and you come after me, and oh, we'll have our freedom. And it wasn't it wasn't aggressive. It was very like, you know what's going to happen if you take it in this direction. And it's like, well, yeah, and you know what's going to happen if you do. And they all, and then, and then Snow's just, was it Snow or Emma who was like, let's go home. And they all just kind of looked at each other. And Belle was there, and you could you could kind of tell she was very torn because she didn't want to be like, Rumpel, stop being an ass. But at the same time, she was like, but our son. So I actually really, really like that moment where it was about, it was a family conflict, but it was like two Two families, both, you know, respectable in house or however Romeo and Juliet goes. But, like, you know what I mean? Where it was, like, these families are intertwined, but at the same time, they have their own loyalties. And it was just very – It, w- I appreciate very much that it was much more calm. And it was I, – I just really, really like the fact that they were both, like, yeah, you know. So what are you going to do about it? And it was it was more unsaid than said. That's what I liked about it. Mm. Yeah, um, it's. I'm really glad you did the accent and that you were talking about what you were talking about because while you were talking, literally in my head, I formed a scene in which Gideon was actually raised by his parents, and it's like a few years down the line. 
they're like he's like seven or eight. He goes and plays with um, Neil Nolan all the time, little baby Neil. They hang out together. They're the same age. They're the two boy kids in town their age whose parents are fairy tale heroes and have authority, so they bond. So he comes in from playing with little Neil, and Belle is like, <laughs> says, Gideon, we don't put our weapons on the table. And he says, oh, but my, it's just my ball. Oh, <laughs> but that is just me boo. It's just my boo. So we just, you know, any chance to do a Scottish slash brave accent, I will find a way to work it in. Apparently my brain yeah. will too, because that's literally like the first thing that happened is I was like, oh, well, then this scene can happen. It's just my boo. So, I actually yeah. would have liked that because, you know, Snow would have been teaching them archery or something, and then little, that's you know, he's going home, and and he, yeah, he, he, he uh, little Gideon, um, I can't say little Gideon without thinking of Gravity Falls, oh my god, and he's like, I'm just the cutest y'all, but um, we're young Gideon. Uh, you haven't watched Friday Falls. You trust me. It'll it'll make you look at the name Gideon in a whole different light. But anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, he comes, he comes home. <laughs> I'm just thinking about Belle's Australian accent, where she's like, "Whoopal says." Well, I can't do it now because I haven't watched Wentworth. But yeah, just but mom is just nibbles. Yeah. I just want to any 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 excuse to do a funny voice on this podcast, I will take it. Yeah, I'm glad that you picked up on the fact that it would make sense because Snow would be teaching them archery because that's exactly where I went with it too. So I was like, oh well, that would work because Neil would learn archery from his mom, and when Gideon goes over there, then she just teaches him too. So that makes mm-hmm. sense to me. So yeah. Anyways, wish fulfillment. Um, let's see, what else, yeah, what else, what else, what else? I have more notes, I believe. Um, let's see. Well, with Gideon, his whole kind of, like, turn where, no, you need to help me kill the Black Fairy, but JK, I, I was just, you know, I betrayed you. His his turn in the last episode it kind of confused me, and they did an effort to kind of explain it to Emma, but then he ended up betraying her. So it, it it just it kind of made it feel weird in a way. I don't I don't know. Like I, the whole time that like I guess up until the point where he actually did betray her in this episode, I was like, okay, but why did he try? Like, and he even explains it, but I still in my head was like, but there was this whole thing about him killing her, and then like, he didn't. And, like, you know, I mean, you could say, oh, yeah, it was a bad plan, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, like, also, why? Like, that just, to me, didn't hit the mark quite. You know what I just realized is that, isn't it so funny that we have, like, we have commented in the past about how the only remaining branches of Henry's family tree that we didn't know were Charming's dad and Rumpel's mom, and now this year, both of those things were answered. 
That is true. Uh, can someone please, my birthday is coming up, make me a Henry family tree. I need it. Like with little pictures of everybody. And all dotted lines crisscrossing. I need it in my life. But yeah, you're right. Like I mean, we've pretty much, we've got grandparents and, and great-grandparents on both sides. Yeah, like we have a very steady, traceable family tree on both sides, like for a while. I kind of so, write it out tonight. Oh my god! Like really, like Henry's great grandparents are Peter Pan and the Black Fairy, <laughs> and a farmer the farmer in the Dell and his wife and King Leopold and Queen Ava. Those and technically Regina, if you want to, you want to start getting a little My grandma mom. But then anything my about grandparents. Grandma, my great-grandma my great mom. mom said that she'll curse you if you don't leave me alone. Um, yeah, there's an argument on the, on the playground. Um, and, and then his grandparents, yeah, or, you know, you have um, you have the Queen of Hearts as one grandparent, and then obviously you have Snow White and Prince Charming as another Grandparent and 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 the you know, rumble stillskin and, and Belle as another set of this kid has grandparents coming out the yin yang. I just realized. And then his step great aunt is the wicked witch. No. But she be wait is she a great aunt? Yeah, because Regina is his great, his step great grandmother. But <laughs> she's also, but then she's also his regular step aunt, though, too, because of the whole adoption thing. Well, no, that that's what makes him the step. Oh, no, that. I don't know. That makes her the step yes. great. Be- because technically, Regina is his ma. So, Zelina is his aunt, as well as being his, his uh, great aunt. So she's, his, so, she's his adoptive aunt and his step great aunt? At the same time, yes. Yish. They're going to be paying Archie Harper for the rest of their lives. Um, okay. <laughs> I want Thanksgiving. Here's one one thing that I will say about the Black Fairy um, and her story and what's going on here. Um, There were two instances where she said the word dearie. There was one instance where she said the word coward. These were things that I, I understand the intention. I understand their purpose. They were there built in in order to give some callbacks to Rumple and make it be like, oh, yes, I see. That's his mom. Ah, yes. Mombasa. Like, mm-hmm, I understand. Okay. 
Um, the reason why it felt a little hollow and fell a little bit flat for me, just for me, is because those things didn't feel earned because she, as far as we know, clearly, um, and there was a question about this that I saw online too that I never actually saw a resolution for, which is that she was never around when he was a kid in order for him to pick up on those habits from her. So the fact that she was doing them didn't really make a lot of sense. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I say, I understand why they were there. I understand its function and its purpose. In the story, in the script, in this episode, I get it. Um, it just didn't seem to work for me for that reason. It wasn't earned. He would have she. You can't connect those two characters because they didn't really know each other and have a relationship, as per what has been said. Now, there was a debate that I saw online about, I guess, something that maybe that she had said in one of these episodes about Rumple or to Rumple, and how that is a direct contradiction to what Malcolm the grown-up Peter Pan said in one of the Neverland episodes, but I'm not sure if there's a contradiction or not. I never actually saw confirmation of that or resolution to the question, so I don't know. Was it regarding the fact that Malcolm, because I feel like I saw the same conversation, was it regarding the fact that Malcolm um, had mentioned that he saw um, Rumple as a babe? As as yeah. he's like the squealing yeah I saw the same convo uh squealing pink whatever is what he said and then was Malcolm present for the birth how did Malcolm shack up with the black fairy I want to know but I feel like the episode of the black fairy is probably going to tell us I hope the hell it does because oh my god I don't get that at all. Like she must, she must have been drinking. <laughs> well, I mean, Malcolm wasn't always. I mean, we 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 saw him when he was a young man as Peter Pan, so we probably we wasn't always a um Malcolm. Like, and then his basically growing up his life kind of screwed himself up. Yeah, but at the age that they knew each other, he would have been only a few years younger. And I, I just don't True. Um, I don't get it. So, yeah. Um, she doesn't seem the type of person who would be like, hey, human, let's get it on, and oh, look, I'm having a baby. Like, I don't know. Um, Unless he thought he was going to get something out of it. True. Um, let's see what else. Yes, I didn't know that fairies could have babies. I'm wondering if that makes, hmm. You know, the whole black fairy being Rumble's mother really, really, really puts his, not only his hatred of fairies, but the whole, you know, fairies being none things like, (laughs) and it just makes it, you know, more interesting. (laughs) Like, there's one. I, you know I love the fairies on Once Upon a Time, and I really, like, that's one thing I want explored more is just, like, the whole 
hierarchy thing of fairies and how the blue fairy got to be like the big cheese and, and have like the power to tell Tinkerbell off. But obviously there was something that happened that made the black fairy, you know, go to her realm. And, and I think it's interesting that diamond dust to make fairy dust can be mined, not only by dwarves, it can be mined by children. Um, so, I mean, the fact that it just, it doesn't, because what it, it's enchanted diamonds, right? I just think it's interesting that she found a way to do that again. Um, P.S. Did you totally? I totally got Sarah Jessica Parker Pocus Pocus vibes when she was swooping in with the baby. Like, come little children, total vibes oh, yeah. in that in that opener. Yeah, very much. So, um. I wonder, oh, dude, I mean, this is totally obvious and slapping us in the face. Black fairies shacking up with Malcolm is probably why there was the whole rule that, you know, fairies can't be in relationships that cause Blue to crack down on Nova. That's, that's it. There there we go right there. Three. Well, I mean, we kind of figured that. Um, I just want, like, it'll be interesting to see if we get, because there is that episode coming up titled The Black Fairy. Mm-hmm. It might very well. You know what? Hold on. Hold on. Please hold for information information. Okay. I am DB. Using looks. Yeah, an advertisement I don't care about. Okay, cool. And then we're going to do that. And now that. And now this. So, for the episode titled The Black Fairy, we've got a midwife and a peasant mother listed as guest stars in addition Mm -hmm. to the black, in addition to the black fairy and tiger lily. But this, the midwife. Isn't, you know, this isn't a full press release or anything either, so there could be additional cast members in that because, and the reason why I'm bringing that up is because um, I wanted to see if Keegan Connor Tracy was going to be a guest star in that episode or not, because then we would know whether or not we would be getting a scene wherein the Blue Fairy takes the Black Fairy's wrong. Hmm. I mean, I feel like she was filming more than just what we what we saw. Like I feel, and I could be wrong. I could be misremembering, but I feel like she had mentioned in the past that she was filming in the dress. But I don't don't quote me on that because I'm not sure that I'm right. Hmm. Who knows? Um, I'm excited see. to see though. We pretty much covered all of the episode here. Um, yeah, I don't really have much else to say. So, yeah, what about the promo for next week? Oh yes, yes, let's discuss. So the promo for next week shows 
that Snow and Charming are given the opportunity to change time. Change their feet. And and apparently, from the looks of it, find Emma early. Um, From the looks of it, when she's still a kid, like a little kid. And in so doing, you know, never breaking the curse and leaving everybody trapped forever. Um, Which I find interesting because I'm like, is this another Back to the Future situation where they're going to go to, like, Storybrooke of the past to talk to Gold while he's still cursed? Because he's there with the longer hair. So we know that it's Mm -hmm. that point. Are they going to go to Storybrooke in the past and they're, like, past? Storybrooke versions are going to be there. Like David's going to be asleep in a coma, and Snow is going to be walking around every day, bumping into Regina outside of Granny's, volunteering at the hospital. Like, is that all going to be happening? Like, I don't know. Some interesting implications with that with the promo. I mean, I don't know if I like them going back and messing with things. I mean, obviously, I don't think it's going to stick, but at the same time, I'm like. Mm. Don't do it, bro. Well, yeah, me too, because I'm like, um, if you guys, like, find Emma now and the curse is never broken, like, you're never going to have your other kid. So there's that. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a thing. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I definitely don't think it's going to stick. I don't even really think they're going to do it. But clearly, what like, whatever this is, like, whatever this test is or, you know, there's got to there's gonna be some factor or some element to this episode wherein they're being tested and it's – or something somehow is going to break the sleeping curse. Like, this is going to be the one where they wake up, so – I mean, it's called awake. Right. No, I'm just thinking about it all. I'm wondering if the Black Fairy is going to, like, show up. Like, if it's all going to be, like, in their heads, like an illusion, they're going to think that they did it. And the Black Fairy will show up and be like, mm, nope, sorry, fuck for you. I'd be really upset if they did that to us. That's really cheap. That is... I don't think that that is very compassionate towards your audience. And, yeah, I think that might be a step too far. We'll see. Um, what else? God, we only have four left. Like, if that, the Oz story, the Black Fairy episode, the musical, in the end. I have no, I like, I know I say this every single time, but I really, I can't even theorize. I have absolutely no idea where this is going to go. Especially not with some of the, the, um, some of the pictures that I have unfortunately and witness to on the internet of things that have been filming in days of late. So 
which which is weird because I've managed to avoid filming pictures, but I did see filming when I was in Canada. And even with knowing, like, seeing things, I'm still kind of like, all right, what the crap is going to happen? I have no idea. Well, I'm, I saw something that I'm pretty sure is, like, it had a very, like, this is the happy ending kind of vibe to it. Mm. So I was like, how are we going to connect some other stuff that I've seen with where we are now to that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> this is so annoying. I just want to know. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really have anything else. Um, we reached the end of the podcast, I believe. Um. That Thor Ragnarok trailer is amazing. I will just say that. Um, all right. So <laughs> I think we're going to leave it here, friends. We're going to end this one a little bit early because we have reached the end, and I don't want to drag it on out. So thank you very much for listening, as always. Thank you for your continued support of the podcast. We will be back next week on Tuesday here on Blog Talk Radio at 5.30 Pacific, 6.30 Mountain, 7.30 Central, and 8.30 Eastern. So go ahead and tune in then. We will have all the latest news updates as per the usual, and hopefully we'll be able to bring you some kind of news about a renewal. Everyone's fingers are crossed as far as just getting an answer one way or the other. And, yeah, so we'll see you guys next week. Stay tuned to our Twitter feeds and Once Upon a Fans with an S dot com slash convention um for all the latest convention news it's our most updated most frequently updated page on the website so we make sure that we keep that up to date for all of you um yeah that's pretty much it good night everybody night